0: text this morning is Isaiah chapter 7, verses 3 and following. And we're going to be looking at Isaiah, uh, the prophet, and his statements concerning God's salvation. If you look at your bulletin outline, you'll see firstly that there is trouble in Judah at this period in their history. Israel was at odds with their brothers to the south and had allied themselves with Syria or Aram to the north and the push was on to overthrow Judah and to conscript their territory. So civil war was looming on the horizon though for Aram... Their aim was undoubtedly complete conquest, even of Israel to the north, though Israel was oblivious to the fact that their ally was thinking, hmm, not only will we take Judah to the south, but we will just absorb all of those tribes in Israel and we will become this great and powerful and expansive nation. Ahaz, not Ahab now, Ahaz was king over Judah, the southern kingdom. And when he heard of the alliance, look at verse 2, the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Now I think this is just Isaiah's picturesque way of saying that fear and dread had captured Ahaz's heart and the hearts of all Judah with him. And the reason is obvious. Ahaz understood, and so should we, that his defenses in Jerusalem were puny and inadequate by comparison to the combined forces and superior weaponry of Aram and Israel to their north. From your Bible history, you will recall that after David came his son Solomon. But in time, because of Solomon's heart growing cold towards God, he moved away from Jehovah through the idolatry of his many wives, and he started to adopt their idolatry, and he built a lot of uh, places in Israel where they could worship their pagan idols. And because of that, God promised, I'm going to take away your kingdom. I'm going to divide it. I'm going to give it to others. And this united kingdom of David will be divided into north and south. Well, advance now. Solomon's gone and we have this very thing. It became a reality after Solomon's death when his former official Jeroboam led a revolt against Rehoboam, Solomon's son. The result was the ten tribes of Israel sided with Jeroboam and only two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, remained loyal to the Davidic dynasty. So it's ten to two. Just if you're talking about dividing the uh, the land of Palestine up. Ahaz of our story was king over Judah, those two tribes in the south, And so the federation, as I mentioned, is 10 to 2. And in addition to that, Israel's force was allied with the nation of Aram, A-R-A-M. Sometimes called Syria if you have a, a King James Bible. No doubt, Ahaz thought he was a goner and his kingdom with him. It's not surprising, I think, that he was terrified. If he had any love for his people, any desire to save his kingdom and see it survive, he knew that he had to do something to survive and he had better do it quickly. Well, Isaiah was the prophet at this time of history. And so God uh, sent Isaiah to challenge Ahaz through a call to faith in God. Prophets were the spokespeople for God. In this day, they didn't have uh, a lot of scripture writings. The Bible was being written during that time. But look at verse 3. Isaiah was instructed, Go out to meet Ahaz, verse 4. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart. Because of these two smoldering stubs. And he's referring to Israel and Aram. That alliance up there. He goes on. Aram, Ephraim, and Romalia's son have plotted your ruin. Verse 7. Yet, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. I'll tell you, if your back were against the wall, and you had this puny defense system against this mighty army coming against you, it would have seemed to be great comfort for the sovereign God of the universe to say to you by way of his prophet, you know, just stay calm. They're just too smoldering, (laughs) you know, fire's already gone through them, and there's nothing left to them but just smoldering charcoal. Don't worry about them. It's not going to take place. It's not going to happen. So obviously God knew something that King Ahaz did not know. And this message from Isaiah, as he speaks for God, is a call to faith. Look at verse 9, the latter part of the verse. If you do not stand firm, Ahaz, in your faith, you will not stand at all. What a great message that is. I almost picked that as the verse of the week. And and you could add that to your repertoire. It's, It's a great verse. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Now why would God say this to Ahaz? It's because Ahaz, get it now, was a wicked king. He's a wicked king. He had a history of idolatry. He had a history of unfaithfulness to God. And secondly, Ahaz had an ace up his sleeve, which convinced them that he didn't need God. That ace was his own secret alliance with the nation of Assyria. 2 Kings 16 tells us, that Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, but that unlike unlike David, his forefather, he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Instead, he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and even, even sacrificed his son in the fire following the detestable ways of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He offered sacrifice sacrifices and burn incense at the high places of every hilltop and under every spreading tree. He was an idolater. And he even took the life of his own son and sacrificed him to some pagan idol. The man was no more a believer, he was no more a worshiper of God than the worst pagans in the uncivilized cultures which surrounded him in that day. It's as though he had never heard the gospel. He had never had any inkling of God. And when the alliance was formed between Aram and Israel to the north, Second Kings 16 verse 7 says, Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tiglath-Pilser, King of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Come up save me out of the hand of the king of Aram and the king of Israel who were attacking me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold, found in the temple of the Lord, and he sent it as a gift to the king of Assyria. Does that tell you something? Those utensils, by the way, were not just, you know, not just treasures, but they were symbolic of the worship of God and it was all part of, Israel's worship, but he didn't give a hoot for that. He's trying to save his neck and he's trying to do it his own way and he has no thought of God in anything he's doing. So this was his ace in the hole, his secret weapon against the Northern Alliance. He didn't need to live by faith. He didn't need God coming to rescue him because he had everything well in hand. I got my secret alliance That those guys up north don't know about. And so, Isaiah's call of faith fell on deaf ears. When Isaiah said, verse 10, ask the Lord your God for a sign. Now listen to this, whether in the depths, the deepest depths, or in the highest heights, ask for a sign. Ahaz responded, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now his response sounded very pious, doesn't it? I will not put the Lord to the test. But in reality, he knew he had made an alliance with Assyria. And for him, he needed no miracle He needed no sign from God that God would intervene and spare Judah. You know, we are often no better. We will try to give spiritually sounding answers to serious questions of faith when we know that we have no intention of trusting or obeying God. We just want to give the impression of fidelity to God, while our hearts work out a scheme in the opposite direction, we rely upon our own wisdom, on our own wits, and yet we come across as believers. Well, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't test the Lord. I don't. I don't want to do that. This is just as wicked in us as it was in King Ahaz. Well. Isaiah is there and he's listening to all this and he has had enough. At this point, the tone of the conversation changes radically. Look at verse 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of God also? In other words, Isaiah is saying, You know what I've said to you comes as a message from God. God is saying to you, ask for a sign. And you're saying, oh, I don't think I'll do it. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Here it is. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Isaiah said to Ahaz, ask for a miracle from God. Go ahead. Uh, Ask ask for something hard, something in the depths, something in the heights, something that, you know, is really going to convince you that it had to be God to do it. So that you will know that when it happens, God was the one who did it. And Ahaz responded, I will not ask. I don't need a miracle. I have everything under control. By the way, years later, with Ahaz's son, Hezekiah, when he was very ill, God said to Hezekiah, I I will heal you. Uh, What sign do you want to know or see to prove to you that I will heal you of your uh, terrible disease? Make it hard. Shall I make... um, the shadow of the sun come down the steps of the palace or shall I make the shadow of the sun go up the steps in the palace and it's the palace of Ahaz by the way that dad had built and Hezekiah says well the shadow coming down the steps, that's just the normal movement of the sun across the sky. That's, that's easy to do. How about the shadow going up the steps that is reversing the sun's movement and the day. And God did that for Hezekiah. If you look in your calendar, astronomers know that in our calendar, our yearly calendar, we are missing a day. And that's why February sometimes has a day 28, sometimes a day 29 in the leap year. They just have worked the math a little bit to make it come out for the year, but it traces its time back to this time when God moved the shadow back. Well... Isaiah responds, I will not ask. I don't need a miracle. And so Isaiah retorted, okay, okay. If you won't ask for a sign, God will give his own sign and it will be so stupendous that no one will be able to refute it. No one will be able to say that it was not from God. The virgin will conceive a child and this child will be a son when born who will bear the name Emmanuel." which means God with us. Now, this brings us then to the virgin and her child. And the question comes, what comfort is that to Ahaz? I suppose the first thing that strikes us about this prophecy is that it does not seem to have I don't know, an immediate reference to Ahaz and his dilemma of the Northern Federation. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Isaiah's words here apply directly to the Lord Jesus Christ and to no one else. Now he's writing this seven centuries before the birth of Christ. 700 years. We know this because Matthew's account also written under the prompting of the Spirit of God says that when Joseph was having second thoughts about marrying Mary because he discovered that she was pregnant, an angel of God appeared to him in a dream and assured him, here it is, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, verse 20 and 21, the name Jesus means Savior. It's the Old Testament name, Joshua. God, it is God who saves. And then Matthew adds, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Chapter 1 of Matthew, verse 22 and 23. Well, all well and good as far as the actual fulfillment of the prophecy written some 700 years earlier by Isaiah. But how is this supposed to direct Ahaz's eyes towards God? How is this supposed to squelch his fears and stop him shaking like a wind-tossed trees? Where, if any, is the comfort in this for Judah and the southern kingdom when Israel and Aram are perched on the northern border ready to pounce upon Ahaz's kingdom? Well, you can be, you'd be surprised what some of the commentators do to try to explain this. Some commentators believe that Isaiah was referring to a woman whom he was about to marry and that through her, a child would come who would be a sign to the nation of God's presence and watch care over them. Others think that Isaiah was speaking to Ahaz of his own wife, a new wife, and that within Ahaz's own family, he would have a child that would be the miracle sign. Now the emphasis in both of these scenarios is upon a new wife. One not previously married, one who was a virgin, and then after marriage would conceive in the normal way and give birth to one whose title, not so much a proper name, now get that, a title, Emmanuel would indicate not that he was God, but that he was proof of God being with Judah as the deliverer. Wow, that's a lot of gymnastics, isn't it? To, to try to explain this text. And to me, it, it's a great stretch. We have to go with what we know and leave off with the speculation. What we know is that Isaiah's prophecy here has a direct bearing upon the coming of Christ. Whatever is said about this being assigned to Ahaz of the defeat of the Northern Alliance has to be viewed in such a way as to not detract from the miracle conception of Jesus. There are not two virgins in history who gave birth to a child. There's only one. And all the talk about Isaiah getting ready to marry a new wife who was a virgin is absolutely silly in light of the morality of the Jewish culture, which is, namely, that every woman... Every woman marrying a Jewish man in that day was believed to be a virgin because if she were not, she would have been stoned to death for being a fornicator. You got it? And nothing new about that. The sign, the miracle which God promises here is not that a virgin marrying a Jewish man will have a son through the normal intimacy of marriage, but rather that a virgin, now get it, while still a virgin, and having had no union with a man, will conceive and have a son. That and that alone is a miracle and a sign worthy of the name. Say, okay, okay, suppose I agree with you that this prophecy of Isaiah has only one fulfillment, and that is in the person of Jesus Christ. We still come up with this question. How is this a sign to Ahaz that he is not going to be annihilated by the federation of Israel and Aram to his north? Jesus Christ did not come on the scene for another seven centuries. And I do not see how such a distant fulfillment of God's promise could be much consolation to Ahaz in his present day. Let me just say that nothing happens in a vacuum. Nothing happens in God's word, not even miracles. Miracles without a connection to history, without a connection with time and space and where people live right now. Ahaz was king over Judah. His kingly line is recorded in First Chronicles 3, verse 10 and following. Let me read it for you. Solomon's son was Rehoboam, Abijah his son, Asa his son, Jehoshaphat, his son, Jehoram, his son, Ahaziah, his son, Joaz, his son, Amaziah, his son, Azariah, his son, Jotham, his son, Ahaz, his son, Hezekiah, his son. So why Why did you read it? What's your point? Just this. God promised to David and his descendants, including Ahaz, The Lord himself... I'm reading scripture. The Lord himself... Notice the similar language to verse 14 of our text. The Lord himself... You don't want a sign? I'll give you a sign. The Lord himself will give you the sign. Also here we have similar language. The Lord himself will establish a house for you, David. When your days are over and you rest with your fathers, I will raise you up an offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. 2 Samuel 7 verse 11 and following. When Jacob blessed his 12 sons just before he died, who in time became the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel, this is what he foretold of Judah, his son. Let me read it for you. The scepter will not depart from Judah. It will not depart from Judah. You know what a scepter is, don't you? It's it's that kingly rod or stick, usually gold or something of that nature. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to whom it belongs and the obedience of the nations is his. Genesis 49 verse 10. And in our text it is Ahaz, one of the descendants of Judah, who is on the throne. So far so good. God has seen to it that Judah, as a nation, is still around still being ruled by King David's descendants. Okay. But annihilation is imminent. A vast army to the north is about to swoop down and engulf Judah and Ahaz together. It looks like the end of Judah. And more importantly, it looks like the end of God's ability to keep his promise to David. Just when things could get no blacker, God shines through the darkness with this promise. The Lord himself, that is God and God alone, will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. And you understand that for this to happen, Judah will have to survive as a nation. Here's how the sign fits. The kingdom must remain intact. The northern alliance will not be able to destroy you, Ahaz, because this promised child, Emmanuel, comes as your descendant in the royal line of Judah. Ahaz, believe, believe, believe you don't stand by faith, you will not stand at all. And in the New Testament, the genealogy of Christ reads this way. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. David was the father of Solomon. Solomon the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam the father of Abijah. Abijah the father of Asa. And on down the same list that we read in 1 Chronicles till we come to Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and on down through a whole line till we come to the exile when Israel was taken into captivity by the Babylonians. After the exile to the Babylonians, We pick up again. Jeconiah was the father of Shelateel, Shelateel the father of Zerubbabel, on down to Mathan the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. I'm still reading scripture. Thus there were, 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile of Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ or the Messiah. And then the story picks up. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. And we have the account of Mary being pregnant, Joseph's hesitancy to marry her, the angel of the Lord assuring him that her baby was a miracle child conceived with uh, no uh, fornication on her part, his own decision to marry her and not to have sexual relationships with her until after Jesus was born and on down to the virgin birth that is mentioned as a fulfillment of Isaiah's chapter 7 prophecy. Brethren, the comfort to Ahaz in Isaiah's prophecy, if he had eyes of faith to see it, which he did not, was that his kingdom could not possibly be annihilated by the northern alliance and swallowed up into non-existence because the Christ was coming through Ahaz's family tree. Judah the kingly tribe must prevail. And what is more, it continues to prevail in its present and ruling king, the enthroned Jesus, of whom Paul writes in Second Corinthians 5, verse 10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Or again in Hebrews 1, it says of Jesus Christ that he is the exact representation of God's being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And about the Son, God says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. All that found in Hebrews 1, verse 3 and following. John speaks in the final book of the Bible, and he says about his vision of heaven. There before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the throne is described as being encircled with an emerald rainbow, and from which flashes of lightning and peals of thunder roll. And grouped around it are angels and wonderful creatures and 24 elders which stand for the saints. And John writes, whenever the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, they lay their crowns before him and they say, you are worthy, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by you they were created and have Their being. Find all of that in Revelation 4, verse 2 and following. In other words, David's royal line lives on as God promised. And the virgin's child, Jesus, was God with us while here on earth, and he has now ascended to his rightful throne, being seated at the right hand of God on high. There he rules as the head of his church over you and me who have believed in him as Savior. And there he rules over the nations who like Assyria in which Ahaz placed his faith was brought to ruin in due course of time. What a mighty, mighty prophecy is this word in Isaiah chapter 7. Now, what can we take to heart in terms of lessons from this text? Well, number one, very practical, being in a godly family, listen to me, children, being in a godly family is no evidence that you know and believe in God. Ahaz's father was Jotham, of whom the scripture states. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord just as his father Uzziah had done. Second Kings fifteen verse thirty four. And of Uzziah, same as Azariah in Second Chronicles twenty six, one and following, his grandfather, the Bible says he did what was right, what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father Amaziah had done. He sought God during the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God as long as he sought the Lord, God gave him success. You'll find all that in 2 Chronicles 26, verse 4 and 5. Say, well, what's your point? The point is this. Ahaz's father, now listen to this, his father, his grandfather, and his great-grandfather were all kings who obeyed God and trusted him in various degrees of fidelity. But with Ahaz, there was no faith. In God. Wow. This is why he would not ask for a sign. His trust was in the Assyrians. With whom he himself had made a secret alliance. But our text tells us, verse 17. That because of Ahaz's unbelief. I'm reading now. God will bring on you and on your people a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king, get it now, of Assyria. Whoa, 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 whoa. talk about the irony. Ahaz is putting his trust in an alliance with Assyria. And God is saying, because you wouldn't trust me, guess what? I'm going to bring the Assyrians against you and they're going to swallow you up. The very people and whom Ahaz counted on for his deliverer, God brought on him as their destroyer. The alliances of men are not to be trusted. And the strength of armies is no match for God when his anger is aroused. The call to Ahaz is the same call to us. Verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. I say to all the children of Christian parents here this morning, it's not enough for you to be in a Christian home. That does not make you a believer. Ahaz had a godly family heritage, which would be the envy of most of us here. But he was an evil disobedient, faithless, sinful, idolatrous man. He trusted in his friends. And his friends, I put that in quote, his friends became his enemy. He refused God. and He lived his life like some pagan fool who had never heard of God. But he had Isaiah's, Isaiah the prophet of God and he wouldn't listen to Isaiah. You may be living your life the same. You think because you're an adult or you're a teenager moving towards adult that you can make your own decisions. You can live your own life as you please. And we have examples of that in our own church history. You may be involved in immorality and greed and idolatry and false religions. And if that is so, your tie with your parents will not save you from the coming day of judgment. Salvation is not through heritage. It's not through human bloodlines. God has a personal controversy with you. And His controversy is that you don't believe Him. And you do not act upon His word. You do not believe in His law. He has ruined Himself. He ruined His nation. And I say to any unsaved kids this morning, you may be ruining yourself and your family as well. Called upon to repent. As Isaiah says, if you don't stand in, in faith, you won't stand at all. You need to turn from your sinful ways and stand by faith in God. That's a tremendous lesson to learn. It's particularly important for kids raised in Christian homes. Second lesson is this. And, and we're doing a flip now. The second lesson is this. A wicked parent, a wicked parent, now we got reversals here, a wicked parent will not automatically produce a wicked child. And by wicked, I'm talking about someone that hates God and won't have anything to do with him. Ahaz fathered a son whose name was Hezekiah. Of Hezekiah, there are literally chapters and chapters Written in the Bible because of, get it, his godly character. Whoa. When Sennacherib of Assyria came against him, Assyria now, the same nation that defeated Ahaz, but when Sennacherib came against Hezekiah, it was this same Isaiah, the prophet, who counseled him what to do, When to do it? And he did it! His prayer in Isaiah 37 and God's answer to that prayer are worth your read. Just read that chapter. Isaiah chapter 37. Now how a wicked father, in this case Ahaz, can produce a godly son is a mystery of God's grace to be sure. But it is this hope, this hope, which the gospel holds out to all parents and to all children. If your mom and dad are unbelievers, if they laugh at the idea of God, if they mock the teachings of the Bible, you don't have to be like them. God can and He will work sovereignly in any heart as He chooses. And for those who repent of sin and believe in Christ, there is forgiveness and the promise of Christ's presence. So I say, parents, whatever the upbringing of your grandchildren, I mean, should you have an unbelieving daughter or an unbelieving son-in-law or your own kids, God can bring a Hezekiah out of such an environment. You need to trust and you need to pray. You need to claim the promise, train up a child in the way he or she should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Train them up in the things that are right and true. Now number three, who would have thought that Isaiah's day in history has something relevant to say to our day in history? The virgin's child, which was to be a source of encouragement and promise of salvation to King Ahaz, has become the very savior of all who believe. Ahaz's offspring is better than Hezekiah. And that offspring is the Lord of glory. It is it is Emmanuel. It is God with us. God for us. God our Savior. God our King. David's throne is established. His kingdom endures forever. And this king promises to his people, Matthew 19 verse 28, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on His glorious throne, you who have followed me, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Happy are those who put their trust in the Lord. The comfort and dispelling of Ahaz's fears, with war looming on the northern borders, was the coming of Emmanuel, but he had no faith to see it. He had no faith to believe. Jesus has told us that as part of the end time scenario, there will be wars. And rumors of wars. But see to it that you're not alarmed. I'm reading scripture. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise up against nation. Kingdom against kingdom. Matthew 24, verse 6 and following. Sounds like Ahaz's Day, doesn't it? What we need to understand is that the same consolation given to Ahaz, namely that Emmanuel was coming, is the same consolation given to us in our unsettling times. And Isaiah addresses us as well as he speaks of Christ's second coming. Remember I told you at the beginning here, Isaiah has a lot to say about this Christ. And he speaks not only of his first coming, The virgin will conceive and have a child so forth. But he speaks of his second coming. Here's what he says. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution, as he comes to save you. And a highway will be there. It will be called. The way of holiness. The unclean will not journey on it. It will be for those who walk in that way. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. Nor will any ferocious beast get upon it. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Wow. Praise God. We live in troubled times too, don't we? This is found, by the way, in Isaiah 35, verse 3 and following. Christians are more and more under attack in this country. Almost every week, there is a new exploitation upon Christians in the Christian faith. There's a whole movement now to eradicate Christmas out of our society, out of the celebration of our country. That's been going on for years, but it's really getting violent. First Amendment is being trampled on by Reconstructionists, called Progressives. What's the First Amendment? Freedom of religion, freedom of speech. Enough to make you shake. Enough to make you fear, like mm, something terrible's coming. Isaiah said that. Ah, Remember, there's a highway. It's the way of holiness. And all God's people are going to be found on that highway. Nothing else. No harmful things there. Only the redeemed will walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away my prayer as your pastor is that all of us will be found on the way of holiness and that we will not be shaking like <laughs> wind tossed trees but trusting in the Lord, trusting in Emmanuel God with us let's pray Father thank you for your word today thank you for these prophecies that come from Isaiah Isaiah He touches us in the coming of Christ the first time, the virgin birth. And he touches us again by bolstering up our faith, saying, Well, you know, don't let your knees give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Oh, wow. Lord, we thank you for that. that your blessing will be upon us. If there's any here that's outside of Christ, may they understand the realities of these things. These historical prophecies touch us where we live. This is not pie in the sky. This is where rubber meets the road. This is our lives that we're talking about. It's our country and other countries of the world. It's God's people versus the alliances being made among those that hate God And his word. Yet we are to be strong. And we are not to fear. God Because God has promised. That he will rescue us. He will be our savior. In the end. As he is our savior now. Through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Bless these truths to our heart. Forgive us where we have been fearful. And where we have. In piety said something like. Isaiah. Or Ahaz rather. I will not test the Lord. Well, that was just a statement of his unbelief. May we stand in our faith this day, knowing that our God will honor his commitments. Thank you, dear Jesus, for who and what you are. Amen.